Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to episode 20 of Swimming Upstream. We hope everyone is having a fantastic Memorial Day, Memorial Day weekend. This weekend, of course, we honor our fallen soldiers, soldiers who paid the ultimate price for our freedom here in the United States. Among many other things, that freedom allows Daniel DeVivo and I to be here with you today to recap week four of the Marlins 2021 minor league season. Herein, we will recap the week for each level, point out some key contributors for each team, and then, of course, take your guys' questions. Uh, before we get to that, though, it wouldn't be swimming upstream if it was just me. So with me again, as always, is my fantastic partner, Daniel. Daniel, what's up, man? Thanks again for being here with me today. As you just told me, you and the wife newly vaccinated. Congratulations on that. How are we doing? How's the family? Hey, Alex. We're, we're all good. Uh, everything perfect with the vaccination. All good stuff. Um, I, I Congrats on 20 episodes, man. I mean, it's not crazy number, but... Remember when when uh, the idea came up and and we've I feel I feel we've put out some solid content out there. Happy that that a lot of uh, a lot of people are enjoying it and and as always excited to bring you more content. Awesome, yeah, twenty episodes. I mean, we're not we're not up where uh, where Peter Pratt is yet. He's over. He's up at almost at the hundred episode mark. Which <laughs> congratulations to him. But we'll yeah. we'll get there someday. <laughs> we'll be there someday. <laughs> exactly. All right, guys. So uh, yeah, without any further ado, we're, we're going to break straight into our affiliates. Um, and we're going to start, uh, as always, with the lowest level with the Jupiter Hammerheads. Uh, pretty good week for them. They do win their series uh, four and two, uh, plus nine run differential. And they were in every game and competed really well. So you like to see that from the youngest team in the system. Uh, we'll get to our guys that we uh, have as standouts. Um, and I have two. I'll get to mine first. Uh, Daniel, the first guy I have, I know I talk about this guy a lot and I've talked about him a lot this year but the guy just keeps getting on base via that awesome simplistic approach that I love the first guy I'll mention it is Troy Johnston the guy just doesn't waste at bats this week he goes 11 for 24 on base in every game he has two doubles four RBIs he also hit his first homer in the fourth of his career with just one strikeout so again that's 24 at bats just one strikeout and 11 hits is on base in every game so yeah again awesome awesome guy love to see it uh yeah and for the month, let's just go for the month because it's the end of May. He has walked 11 times and struck out 12 times while hitting 350. Again, dude just gets on base, doesn't waste at bats. Strong four average bat, shows the ability to work good at bats, limits strikeouts, should lead to a good OBP if he continues at higher levels. Only thing missing from him is power. Um, he can hit the occasional gap as we saw in the very infrequent vents, which we saw this week, which was awesome to see. So yeah, if he can add in some power, man, this guy could round into a really, really good hitter. I likened him on another podcast, I believe on Peter's podcast, to like a um, Nick Markakis light. And I really think that's the kind of guy that he could be if he gets it going and at higher levels, which I do want to see him challenged too. So see what happens with him. I'm excited to see him get challenged, man. I, I want to see him get pushed up to at least bullet here shortly. Um, and just since we're on the topic of him, we did have a question come in about him, Daniel, from South Florida SO2. He asked what I just mentioned. Is there a, is there a chance that Troy gets moved to single A advance this season? I think there's much more than a chance. I think it's pretty much a foregone conclusion that once these moves start happening, when Conine goes up, when Connor Scott goes up, when, when the, this outfield moves start happening, that Troy is going to be like the first guy up, right? Uh, I want to see his bat against better stuff. Uh, not the biggest or highest, highest heralded dude in our system, but if he could continue to hit at this current level of production at higher levels, man, I think he can move pretty quickly through the system. So any thoughts you see you have on Troy there, Daniel? I like him, man. I mean, <laughs> I've gotten to know more and more about him through you, because uh, I know you also like him a lot. And regarding the question, 
yeah, I mean, we've mentioned it a few times how outfield traffic um, in our system is pretty um, strong. Uh, so it's hard. You know, like if you just go through each system, you, you can find three to four outfielders already there. You know, you're like, oh, even DHs. But yeah, I mean, just, you know, going up once, you know, to Beloit, where you, we got Connor Scott, we got Cam Meisner, we got Griff Conine, and we got Thomas Jones. That's four right there. Like even with a DH, it's really hard. So obviously they don't want Johnson to come up and not get playing time. And that's probably what's, you know, that, that's the, the holdup. Um, maybe with Victor, Victor Meza out at double A, you can bring up one of the Beloit guys and, and there's a spot right there for, for Johnston, but, but that's the issue, right? I mean, we just have so much talent, maybe with trades, um, further injuries, promotions to the big leagues. Uh, so of course, you know, there will, there will be opportunities and he definitely deserves it. Yeah, I mean, just to end on him, and I definitely agree with that he definitely deserves it. It's just a timing thing. And then, like you mentioned, the depth. The only thing that I, I would kind of worry about, it's a little bit of a different circumstance now because the system has so much depth back. And this is going back to when it didn't, back in 2017, when there was a guy I really liked in Jupiter named Kyle Barrett. And Kyle Barrett was the same kind of hitter, that same kind of singles first hitter that would walk a ton, not waste his at-bats, would have tons of hit streaks. I remember one time he was on like a 12-game hit streak. It back down there in Jupiter in 2017. And then he gets called up to double A. And of course this was right in the midst of the ownership change too, that in 2018, he gets called up to double A and just didn't get a real chance there. I mean, you even saw the organization signing free agents that they were playing over him, you know, and stuff like that. Of course that was during an ownership change when the system was in a much different position that they are now. And of course, new ownership's coming in. They're going to want to sign their own guys. We're going to have different viewpoints and stuff like that. But it just scares me that with all the depth that we have, you don't want to see his career kind of fizzle out, especially if he's a quality ball player. So I do want to see him get pushed, definitely. And I want to see it shortly because I don't think he has much left to prove um, with the Jupiter Hammerheads, even though the season's so young. So yeah, um, want to see him get pushed. We'll see what happens. I definitely think there's a future for Troy in big leagues. Uh, I'll go to my other guy, Daniel, uh, with Troy aside, we'll go to my other guy. Um, I want to bring up, bring up George, George Soriano. This is another guy I want to see get pushed. Of course he had an injury problem. I believe he was, uh, sent to extended to begin, um, uh, the season after minor league spring training. So yeah, he had something going on there. I'm not exactly sure what it was. Maybe, you know, more on the injury front than me, Daniel, but he's a recently turned 22 year old from the DR really good in Clinton in 2019. So again, he, here he is, of course, he did have the injury problem, as I stated, but he's already, he's repeating this level. He was really good with Clinton in 2019. Now he's back with Jupiter, which is the same level. Um, his ERA there in 120 innings was under four would probably have been challenged. Like I said, to, to Beloit at least, if not for this injury. So if he could stay healthy, man, I, I think he's, he's, he's a guy that we could see get pushed here pretty quickly. Um, this week he turned in a six inning shutout start, six strikeouts and one walk. Struggled in his first two starts previous, totaling just six innings pitched between those two. So this was definitely a good sign for his health. And then, of course, it, to see him get back to the guy that we saw him being in, uh, in 2019 there with, with the Lumber Kings. Um, good fastball-slider combo for George. Slider gets really, really nasty at times with some wipeout action. Spin rates up, I saw, in the 2600s. So really, really good pitch, really nice movement on it. He doesn't really have much of a third pitch, Daniel, I would say. He can throw... Uh, a little bit of a changeup, I would say, but it's it's pretty raw. Doesn't have a curveball. 
he can throw the fastball two different ways uh, with two seam and four seam, but I think they kind of blend into one another. So due to that, I may pin his, um, his future in the bullpen, but I think he could be good there. Sits 95 with the heat, really good slider, like I said. So another guy I'd like to see get pushed, maybe not as a rotation guy. I'd maybe like to see him get, get converted to relief. So any thoughts there on George? I really like him. Um, and his stuff is um, looks much better than what it was in 2019. It really does. Again, he needs to be challenged. He's just repeating a level. I, I saw it as a rehab um, to start, but, you know, it's, he's been there for a while now. So I'm not sure what the idea is. I was hoping to have him already at Beloit by now. Um, but I really like him, and I absolutely agree on the third pitch. He doesn't really have one right now. If he wants to be a starter, he needs to develop that third pitch. Um, now's the time to do it while, while he's in Jupiter, lower levels. Um, just, hey, throw that third pitch. Keep doing it. Challenge yourself and and um, keep on it you know, during, during well, while the season continues. But, yeah, I mean, I, I really like Soriano. And right now, just as you, I see him as a as a reliever. Exactly. Awesome. So, yeah, we're on the same page there. Um, in terms of my standout guys, first guy I want to mention is, is Dalby Rosario. Mm-hmm. Um, he had a solid week, man. He's a guy who we've had our eye on because we know that the organization is pretty high on him. He's still 20, and they've challenged him considerably um, throughout his career. So I would say that's why his career numbers don't look amazing if you really look at his stats. In 2019, he jumped from the DSL, you know, the, the, the Dominican Summer League, directly to short season ball um that's something organizations don't normally do because they prefer for their latin players to be kind of be acquainted with with the states and with with the culture at the complex and and gcl first um so so they challenged him then and now they sent him to jupiter but they're really high on him you know he had a solid week 908 OPS in his last four games um, with a pretty special game on Friday where he went three for three with a double. So keep him in mind, you know, just keep an eye on him. Um, again, he's that, that type of prospect that Miami likes. He's just very projectable and very uh, versatile. He can play virtually any position. Um, next guy for me is, is Cameron Barstead. Um, he had a 333 average with a 400 OBP and a couple extra base hits last week. So definitely that's exactly what we love to see from him. Um, we talked about him a bit last week and mentioned how he's the main catcher at this level. Well, yeah, I mean, we saw it. He started five games last week, five out of six, three of those um, at catcher. So they like him so much that when he doesn't start at catcher, he's, he's DHing. So, uh, yeah, so we were just talking about John Mercado here. Well, this guy's bat is coming along. You know, Barstats is. Um, you can see why the organization is pretty high on, on the kid. Let's, let's continue to monitor, monitor him. And um, I actually do have a third guy this week. I mean, we got to keep in mind that Jupiter had, has had an amazing last couple of weeks. So it makes sense that we have a few guys. And, and then my last guy here is Dax. Dax Fulton, man, he was amazing this week. That's just, it's so exciting to see. People need to remember that he's coming from a Tommy John surgery at such a young age. Um, you just can't be sure how he would come back from it. 
Well, I mean, he struck out seven in 4.2 innings with no runs allowed, one hit and one walk. That's beautiful. You know, he keep, he keeps building. You know, he um, Alex mentioned last week how he had a, a, a start to build on. Well, he built on it. Look at this beauty. Um, our buddy Ian Smith at uh, FLA, uh, Floss Mitty on Twitter. Please follow him. Like, do yourself a favor. He has been going to many of Jupiter's games. Um, and he told me literally, you know, Dax Fulton's curveball is bonkers. You know, it's so good. And that's what all scouting reports had when he was drafted. But it's, it's so good to see it now that he's with Miami. An average spin rate for a curveball, to give you an idea, at the MLB level is around 2,600. Ian, Ian got Dax closer to the 3,000 uh, RPM. So um, that's nasty. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, Daxton is a guy, definitely, if he's starting to build on starts, I, I mentioned it, like you said, last week. He was one of my guys. He's here again this week, and for good reason. I mean, if the guy just continues to build, that's what you want to see, those back-to-back starts where he's being effective. He has his control. I think that's the biggest thing with him is keeping his control because he does go through bouts of wildness. But as we said, going through the TJ, still such a young kid coming out of high school. So, uh, yeah, if he gets his anchors underneath him, he's able to get that control to really stick. That's what's going to go go uh, miles for Daxton Fulton. So, uh, a guy to watch for sure as he progresses with the Hammerheads. He should spend most of the year with the Hammerheads. So, yeah, keep an eye on him. Before we move on from Jupiter, Daniel, we had one more question from uh, this same uh, reader on Twitter, South at South Florida SO2. He asks about Jan Mercado, who is mostly starting at catcher for the um, Hammerheads. They do have Ken Barstad mixed in there a little bit too. But he wants to know, is there any reason to worry about Jan Mercado and his hitting abilities? I'll let you field this one. Go ahead. Jan Mercado. Well, I mean, to be completely honest, he isn't someone we're extremely high on. You know, we've been extremely high on on the first place. Um, He's not Jupiter's number one catcher either. Um, Barstead is, and I'll talk a bit about Barstead in in a few. But, you know, the reason why we're not really high on John yet is that, you know, we simply, he simply hasn't had enough playing time to Mm -hmm. really evaluate. Um, And he didn't come in with a strong pedigree in the first place. So for him, it's just, you know, getting more reps. More than that, though, um, young catchers, they, I feel, they need to be evaluated differently than other prospects. They have so much to develop at this stage that it's just overwhelming. You know, they need to get to know every single pitcher on their rosters. They need to learn how to receive them. They need to work on their framing, on their blocking, on their arms, and are expected to just grab a bat and hit 300. I mean, it's really hard to be a catcher at this age, you know, and that's why I'm still waiting on Banfield. Um, He has everything down. Now he can concentrate on his hitting. Mm -hmm. So um, let's just wait to see how this kid develops. You know, maybe he has some good at bats this season, gets to know the the guys he's playing with, moves to the next level and, and, and is able to develop that bat, you know? So like, if, if, if we're really, if we're always saying, hey, it's been one month and it's been a two-year gap or a year and a few gap, wait for everybody else. Imagine what I think about young catchers. You know, we really need to wait for them. All right. I think that's all we got, Daniel, for our friends in Jupiter. Uh, we'll move on. We'll go over to the uh, single A advanced Beloit snappers. 
They go three and three with a plus six run differential. They split the series. They did have a double header mixed in as well. I'm sure we'll talk about that. I'll let you go first here with your guys uh, that stuck out for the snappers. I got one this week, um, and it, it's Josh Roberson. So as you guys well know, we're pretty high on him. You know, we're, we're pretty high on 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 Josh Roberson. His his stuff is just so nasty. Uh, he started the season in the IL, then he rehabbed in Jupiter for a week or so and is now Beloit. Currently he's acting more as a long reliever. Um, and of course, you know, he's, he's killing it. Last week he pitched twice, 4.2 innings, five strikeouts, um, two hits, two walks. We had him as a starter this season, um, but do ultimately see him as a, as a high end reliever. At least I do. You know, I'm, Speaking, not, not speaking for, for Alex here. That's that's how we projected him. Um, now, we're not sure if the team is building him up to start later this year uh, for now since he's coming off an injury or if they're just ready to keep him as a reliever. Um, if it's the latter, though, I'd like to see him being challenged at the upper levels. Like if, if he's going to if he's going to be a reliever moving forward, um, I think he's ready for for double A um, and sh- show what he can do there. Yeah, for sure. Definitely agree on that. Um, I have two for the snappers. Um, the first one I'll get to is a hitter, and it's it's Will Banfield, who, who we just talked about previously. Um, it wasn't a fantastic week, but there were definitely some, uh, some bright spots uh, beyond the five for 21 that he went at the plate in terms of hits. Uh, other than the hits, he did have five, like I said, but he walked in every game of this series, six walks in this series, also doubled. He also hit his homer tripled and homeward first game of the series. So there you go. He literally hits for the cycle in this series. He singles a couple times and then he has a triple double and a home run and a triple and homer win the same game. So yeah, uh, good to see some, some signs from Will Banfield, right? I like his patience a lot. You like to see the power coming through a little bit as well. He also somehow stole a base Daniel, which is the first stolen base of his career. Probably not known for the speed very much, especially being a catcher, but stole a base. Cool. First of his career. Awesome. Love to see it. So, yeah, a solid week for yeah. Will Banfield. You like the walks, you like the patience, and you like to see the power coming a little bit, right? So, yeah, I think it's a guy that rec- that is recognizing pitches a lot better than he did previously. There's not a lot to look at and say, okay, he's hitting 300-plus with – he's hitting a home run every other day. He's not doing that. But it's coming, right? As we just mentioned with catchers, it's a slower build. It's a slower pace. Definitely understandable. Will Banfield's no exception, even though he is the high- highest heralded catching prospect in the Marlins organization. It's going to take time. And you like to see these baby steps being taken. And I think this week he did really well. So Banfield, one of my guys, Daniel, got any thoughts? Uh, man, it's, it's exactly what I, what I mentioned before. I'm still excited about him. You know, some lists have him at 30, 40. How, uh, I mean, how can they listen? I don't want to judge lists uh, harshly, but a guy who's so good, um, with everything else a catcher needs to do, who's still in the lower levels and can now concentrate on developing his bat, who has power, by the way. He obviously needs to change a few things in his swing, cut down the Ks, make more contact. We all know that, but he has time. You know, I mean, uh, he needs to be higher up on lists, I feel. Um, I'm still high on on, on Banfield. Um and, and feel like he is going to be an important part of, of Miami's future. 
Yeah, and just because you mentioned it, the Marlins know what they have in his defense. They're they're not worried about his defense at all. That's what he was known for uh, when the Marlins got him. Everything else, they're not worried about that. And you can see this is evident that they want to build the bat by them putting him in the DH spot, right? So they're getting him time at the DH spot. They're taking the pressure off of him going out and catching guys and just really trying to focus on building up his bat. So yeah, he's going to play and he's going to play a ton and they're going to give him every chance to develop that bat. And you like to see it at least starting to come out from Will Banfield this week. See if he keeps it up. It's probably going to be, you know, a hot and cold kind of a thing with him, I would say. But um, yeah, the more consistent that he can be, the better, the better off he's going to be. But yeah. Pitchers love throwing to him. They really do. I mean, he's a great receiver back there. Like you ask any pitcher, they just love to do it. Um, So, so again, just great to see. Exactly. All right. So you speak with the pitchers that are throwing to Will Banfield. Um, I'll get to the one bright spot in terms of the rotation, Daniel, for them this week. And it had to be Kyle Nicholas. So Kyle gets his what? First, fourth start um, in the first game of a double header after the start that he was supposed to pitch in was rained out the day previously. And what does he do? He goes 4.1 innings in a seven inning game, two earned runs, two walks, and the strikeouts, 11 strikeouts. Faces 20 hitters and strikes out 11 guys. Just absolutely insane. Was just ridiculous. Awesome to see. Um, what you like about Kyle Nicholas, obviously, is the fastball and the velocity, which is what he lived off of uh, as he was coming up, you know, through college and everything else. Uh, it's up to 97. Got some good, really what I like to see in the couple of starts that I've gotten to watch from him on the fastball is the way that that pitch moves. It's not just the straight 97, right? This thing's dancing, Daniel. I mean, I don't know if you've seen it as well as me. This pitch moves pretty much wherever he wants, and he can place it really well. Definitely his best weapon, and I think that's probably like a 55 or 60 grade pitch right now. I think that's a major. Yeah, I think I think right now his fastball is majorly ready. What he needs is to build his second pitch with his, which is a slider, which is good. Um, it's already pretty good, probably average to slightly above average. I would say dips down to what like 88, 90 in that range. Um, some some nice spin on it, probably above average spin. I haven't actually looked at the numbers personally, but I would guess that it has good above average spin just because of how the pitch drops vertically. Uh, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's decent and he's building that what he doesn't have uh, is much like George Soriano, who we mentioned before, doesn't have a third pitch. He has a changeup, but it's very, very nascent. And that's, what's going to be the hitch for him. If he's going to stick as a starter, because I don't care who you are. You need a third pitch to succeed as a major league starter. Very few guys could do it without a third pitch. So he'll need to do that to stick as a starter. But again, like I said, fastball is really, really good. Just overpowers guy guys at the single A advanced level with that pitch. We've seen that through all four of his starts. Slider's pretty good. You need to see a third pitch come out. Um, and yeah, that's where his development is. Um, so what to watch on him? Development of the secondaries. Fastball is already solid. I should probably also mention, um, because you did mention uh, McCam- or Nicholas, I should also mention McCambly, who for the first time in his pro career pitched twice in the same week. Mm-hmm. Um, like it wasn't like crazy special starts. You know, he didn't go over 4.2 innings in any of them. He had 4.2 and then 4.1, but there's definitely things too, um, you know, that we can mention here. He struck out 13, you know, in nine innings. That's, that's really, really good. Um, zero walks, you know, the guy just continues to, uh, just have that beautiful control. He's walked two batters in 26 innings. I mean, that's, that's amazing. Um, and the only thing is that he didn't get kind of hit around, you know, zero walks, but his first start of the week, he had, uh, eight hits Mm -hmm. and obviously, you know, that turned into three runs, which, which, um, 
made the start not look too great, but he built off of it and and only gave up one run on Sunday and only two hits in, in 4.1 innings. So, yeah, we should probably mention McCambly, which, again, two starts in one week and, and uh, for the first time ever probably for him. And he did well. I mean, that's uh, four runs in nine innings. It's four ERA. That's fine. But the Ks is what really stood out. Yeah, exactly. It's a guy that, that has great control. But um, as we saw this week, um, the command, I think, is good. I, I don't think it's, 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 it's nascent. I don't think it's, it's below average. I think it's probably about average right now, probably an average command tool, maybe if you want to put a grade to it, 40 to 45. But I think he has room to grow that for sure. But when he's not commanding, he's going to get hit. You know, when he, fall, when he falls behind and counts, um, he's going to tend to get hit because he has to go back to the fastball rather than go to those beautiful breaking pitches that he has, namely that curveball. So yeah, when he has to challenge more with the fastball, give guys second, third looks with the fastball in the same at bat, I think that's probably when he's going to run into those command problems, which I think that's kind of what we saw in that start that Daniel's talking about where he gave up all the hits. But he's not going to walk a lot of guys. Control's really good. I think the command could used to be developed a little bit more. But again, like we said before, this is the guy just getting started in his pro career. So tons of tons and tons and tons of time. No reason to worry at all. And he already has two really good pitches and a third on the way. So yeah, McCambly just continues to be solid. And even when he's not at his best, like we saw this week, he's still able to be effective in strand runner. So we like to see it. Uh, good call out on that one, Daniel. I, th- I think um, uh, the, the Beloit Rockers asked about Connor. You want to talk about Scott? Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, Beloit Rockers, I believe, asked about Connor Scott, who has missed, I think, 11 of 13 games now. Um, I did get some clarification on this uh, earlier in the week. I did put it on Twitter. You guys probably saw it. The news on Connor is good. The news that I got back, uh, what was that? Probably back on uh, Wednesday or Thursday after he was still missing games was that he's not going to need a trip to the IL. He has missed a lot of time. They did try to get him back in, I think, in the second series of the year, if I'm not mistaken. And he only played in two games and then had a day off. Then, of course, the Monday day off, and he hasn't played since then. So, yeah, where is he? Um, Well, the word that I got is that he's experiencing some mild stiffness. Wasn't clarified where. Um, I did try to get clarification. It, It wasn't specified, whether it's, you know, back, hamstring, whatever it may be. But the news is good, and it's that he's not going to need the IL stint, like I said, and that he should be back sometime in this upcoming series for the Beloit Snappers. So there's your word on Connor Scott. Definitely want to see him back because he was off to a great start and a guy that me and Daniel both could see moving in the future here with uh, through the organization. He looked really good in spring training. So, Yeah, and we obviously hate it when, when you know, somebody misses. Like As soon as it's two days in a row, we don't see someone, some of these guys in the lineup. We're like, oh, no, here yeah. we go. But at the end of the day, it's it's you know these guys are developing. It's so important to just make sure if there's anything that's recurring, just don't don't have him play just let them get their rest and and come back you know it doesn't matter if he doesn't you know finish up with 300 at bats it's fine you know if he goes 250 220 whatever yeah um yes yeah, especially so, after the yeah. missed season right i mean exactly. these guys you want them 100 percent healthy and if they're not 100 percent healthy just give them all the time they need stay as cautious as possible we saw it with max meyer who looks like he's dealing with a blister issue like just get him out of there you know what i mean just like don't Absolutely. take it easy Look at what's going on with the Marlins. I mean, that's, that's what, right. What I was going to say, you know, the all of the major league level, like, you know, at the major league level, it's harder to keep guys who who have minor stuff out um, because you need to win games. Like you really need to win games. This is not the case in the minor leagues. In the minor leagues, you just got to make sure that, that, that your, guy, your guys are, sure, they're getting the reps, but mostly that they're healthy. 
So um, I think it's fine what they're doing with Connor and obviously, you know, just being extra careful with everyone. Exactly. Not about winning. It's about the development. That's the, the prime, the prime directive of, of minor league baseball. So yeah, if a guy's feeling something, just, just sit him down. So that's what we are winning. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. They've been doing pretty well in terms of wins. Uh, but yeah, that's what you see with Connor. Hopefully we get him back in this series. I don't know about Tuesday possibly, but I would definitely say to expect him back mid series here for the Beloit snappers. So that's what we have with, with Beloit. Uh, we'll, we'll go on uh, and I'll move up to double a Daniel uh, with the Pensacola blue Wahoos, another winning series, as we just mentioned, uh, they go four and two win their second straight series plus six run differential. Uh, shouts out to our friend Chris Garagiola for braving a press box with a broken air conditioning down in Biloxi, Mississippi. And a big thanks to him for answering our questions about the outfield during his broadcast. That was really awesome. Slight sneak peek into the potential future of swimming upstream. We may have been able to convince Chris to join us on a future episode. So stay tuned for that. We would be more than happy to have him on and more than more than thankful to have him on to get his thoughts on what he's seen so far being at every Pensacola Buwahoos game, or at least watching every Pensacola Buwahoos game. So yeah, that would be really cool. And hopefully we get that done soon. So yeah, uh, we'll go to our guys. Um, I got two, Daniel. Uh, I guess I'll start. I got my first is Gerard Encarnacion. He goes five for 25. He hits a homer, has a double, five RBIs. Did have 13 strikeouts, just one walk, but that's par for the course for, for Gerard. He's going to strike out a lot. We'll get into it right here. Uh, not a particularly fantastic week overall, but I did want to highlight him for a very big reason. He hits his third homer. Of course, Gerard has always been known for the, his monstrous power. What he hasn't been known for is the ability to use it to go to his opposite field, to the right field side, right? So two years ago, after a spring training game in which Gerard hit a rare opposite field home run, Don Mattingly said, if he can start doing that more often, getting the ability to cover the plate better, stop pulling off on everything that he swings at, that's huge for his development, right? He didn't really do it in 2019, only went opposite field 30.4% of the time per fan graphs. Uh, however, this year, that figure on the young season, of course, so take the small sample for what it's worth, but this figure stands out, Daniel. Uh, it's 46.5 opposite field percentage, and two of his three bombs have gone in that direction. So by Huge. keeping it down, yeah, getting much better extension out over the plate, Gerard is showing the ability to get pitches he'd formerly either miss at or just swing and weakly make contact for a weak ground out or fly out. So this adjustment is fantastic for Gerard's overall development and his numbers are reaping the benefits. Though his K numbers are up around 40%, he does need to bring that down because even if you're a big K guy, you don't want to see 40. I mean, 30 is doable, but we, we don't want to see 40. So we do want to see that come down a little bit. I think it will as the season wears on. His walk rate though is pretty good, Daniel. I mean, way above his career norms, 12% walk rate already this year. So yeah, uh, finding walks at, at, a, at a well above average pace for him. And it's compounded into a 341 on base percentage, WRC plus of 122. So continues to utilize and gain comfort in his new mechanics by being able to go oppo, like I just said. He should be able to cut down the K rate as the adjustments come more naturally for him. Looks really good at the plate though, man. I think this is the best he's looked at the plate despite those strikeouts. So yeah, man, strikeouts come down. I think this guy is going to be really, really solid. You love that he's getting time at first base. DH coming as well to the National League. So some opportunities are going to open up for Gerard. So yeah. All, all you need to see is and that they should, um, the, the, they should come down. Um, he's a guy who is true. Like he's always struck out, but I felt like 2019, he had a big step um, between, between um, single A and, and, and a high mm -hmm. in 2019. Like he went from the 32%, like low thirties to, yeah. to 25. Yeah. So 
I feel like, yeah, like as the season goes on, he keeps just getting that rust off that, that will start showing definitely. Exactly. And he's making the jump up to double A too, which is a big jump for any prospect. So uh, yeah, I think what, what, as the season gets older and, you know, he gets more comfortable facing these double A pitchers, man, I, I think there's great signs here for Gerard Encarnacion. So keep an eye on him with, with Pensacola. Uh, my other guy is, is a pitcher. Um, it's a reliever, a uh, new reliever, I should say. He was a starter at one time and the Marlins have since made him a reliever. It's Sean Gunther. Of course, most of the attention in Pensacola is going to be on the rotation with Meyer, Eater, Etc. But out in the bullpen, this guy has been nearly untouchable, Daniel. So far this year, 15.1 innings pitched, just two earned runs, and the walks to strikeout numbers. 22 strikeouts and two walks. So crazy. The guy just gets it done. I mean, Amazing. gets strikeouts, gets outs, and you know, limits pitches and serves up multiple innings for that bullpen. This week he goes four innings, five strikeouts. That's all that was on his line. No hits, no walks. So yeah, man, a guy that just, just gets outs and a solid, solid bullpen anchor for the Pensacola Blue Wahoos. Couple details. Um, as I said, a former starter, Marlins converted him to relief work in 2019, began to really thrive there. Uh, between single A, single A advanced, he had a 2.02 ERA, 71 innings, 72 strikeouts, 16 walks. So there you see the strikeouts to walks again. Great control, great command guy. He's not going to overpower you. He's a pretty average dude, 5'11", 194. But a lot to like about his delivery, pitches like from the first side of the rubber, from the stretch, right? Uh, really quick wind leading into an over-the-top delivery. Doesn't have a heavy velo, like I said. Sits like 92, can rarely hit 94. He'll normally sit like 91 to 93. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's not heavy velo, but as I said before, great command, great control, and good movement. Uh, again, like I said, with the fastball as well, as well as his breaking pitches, great spin rates. All of his pitches – all of them, great, great spin rates. All of them move all over the place. And he could throw a variety of breaking pitches too. I should mention this. Best breaking pitch is probably his curveball. Big, heavy bending curveball, 12-6 curve. Good drop late to his spot. That's the spin rate coming into play. Uh, yeah, and then he also has a really, really good slider as well. 85 to 87, sharp downward break, good downward tilt as well. Tunnels off his fastball really well. Yeah, and then he has a pretty above average changeup as well. So, yeah, man, it's just a guy out of the bullpen that can provide a, a ton of different looks and has that great pinpoint control and command. Really, really excited about what he's doing out of the bullpen. I love uh, I love Sean Gunther, man. I talked about him last week, and he keeps doing it. So definitely excited about what he can do. If he, you know, he'll keep on it, definitely. He, he, looks, he looks the part. He's doing so well. Um, my guys, Jake Eater, man. What are we doing here? <laughs> That guy looks amazing. Um, I think it won't be long until we see him in, in top 100 lists. He's just dominating the double-A level. His first pro level, just dominating. Five innings pitched last, last week, zero earned runs, one hit, two walks, eight Ks. Um, for the season, he now has a 0.45 ERA, you know, just not even DeGrom. Um, 1.65 fielder independent pitching, 0.95 whip, crazy 15.30 K per nine, just utter dominance, man, from, from Jake Eater. We knew he was good. We didn't know he was, he was this, this good. Um, is there, if there's one thing he needs to work on, it's bringing down the walks a bit. Currently at 4.5, 4.95 walks per nine innings. But man, I mean, just the kid just looks like, like the real deal. 
Yeah. Um, he starts, he just continues to, to do it every time out. Each one of his starts, at least five innings pitched, three or less hits allowed, just one earned run allowed, which I believe came in his third start where he had four walks. As we stated, I think that kind of compounded for him a little bit in that start. Just that one earned run, though. And in every start, Daniel, at least seven strikeouts. Uh, obviously had that that awesome first outing of his career with the 12. And then his last start, he gets eight, seven, and seven in between for his other two starts. So he just keeps doing it, man. And so impressive to see a guy come straight out of a draft, challenge to a double-A level, and he's one of the best pitchers in minor league baseball. Can't say enough. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, maybe you can expect like one or two starts where – the league doesn't have any information on you, but there's many, how many starts now? Five. Um, and yeah, four. Yeah. they're still not seeing him. I mean, yeah, four starts and nothing, you know? So it, it wasn't a lack of information. He's just, he's just uh, killing it. Yep. Um, my other guy I want to talk about here is Devin Hairston. He had a, he had a nice week, a 25-year-old infielder who the Marlins picked up as a minor league free agent uh, this season, earlier this year. Guy had two bombs, so I did want to mention him, but we're, you know, we're not too high on him right now. You'll see he didn't, he didn't even crack our top 100. You know, he's still a career 559 OPS, so we need to show a, a lot more of this if he wants to really start turning some heads. Yeah. Awesome. So yeah, good, good two picks right there. Eater. Just, I could talk about that guy all day. Anyways, <laughs> we'll go on. We'll go up to uh, our last level, Daniel, uh, Jacksonville, the triple a Jacksonville jumbo shrimp. Oh boy. Uh, rough week for our boys in Duval. Um, they face off against, of course, a fantastic Durham bulls team out of the Tampa Bay Rays organization. We all know who they are. Um, they squeak out their only win of the series in the final game to avoid the sweep. Uh, they scored just 12 runs, though, a negative 26 run differential. So after starting out so great to their season in terms of winning ball games, they uh, they lost five in this series. So uh, they'll try to get back to their winning ways, though. Uh, they're going, I believe, to Gwinnett on Tuesday to face the Gwinnett Stripers, uh, So I th- who I think are the Atlanta Braves affiliate. So, uh, yeah, we'll get into some guys here. Um, before we get to our guys, Daniel, um, just the biggest story out of Jacksonville all year, of course, has been Jesus Sanchez. Um, in this series, um, scary moment for him. Fouled the ball off of his foot and was removed, I believe, from Friday's game. Looked hobbled playing in the field on Saturday per Matt Present, who is part of the uh, Jacksonville front office as well as their broadcast team. And then he was DHing on Sunday and they removed him from that game for a pinch hitter. So as we said before with taking precautions, right, he did get into games. He didn't finish games. So hopefully he just started feeling soreness or feeling it again. He did foul the ball right off the top of his foot, which is always painful for anybody. Don't care who you are. So I did a couple times by myself in little league when I was playing little league and it was not fun. So yeah, I just can't even imagine how much worse it is when you're facing major league velocities. Right. Yeah. So yeah, de- definitely a, um, a, a, a site for concern, I would say. Uh, but again, we just hope it was soreness and swelling. Um, and again, per, per Matt, uh, you know, in Jacksonville, he's, he's definitely not looking 100%. We'll see what their lineup looks like on Tuesday after the day off. Hopefully, Jesus was able to get some ice on that, some rest, and uh, get off his feet for a while. And hopefully, he'll be back in the lineup because, man, <laughs> most exciting, one of the most exciting stories in the system and in, in minor league baseball as a whole. So, fingers crossed on Jesus Sanchez. Agreed. 
All right. So uh, again, it's, it's a rough week for, for the shrimp, as I said, but one guy I'll, I'll give you that, that popped this week to me, Daniel was a uh, Bryson Brigman, probably not a guy that's talked about a ton, but he goes eight for 21 this week with the Homer in the last game of the series um, came to the Marlins in return for Cameron Mabin from the Mariners in 2018. Uh, and this is his first stop in, in triple a uh, was six for his first 32 before the eight hits in this series. So it looks like he's, he's figuring it out a little bit, right? At least you hope so. Uh, simple slashy hitter makes really good, consistent contact. He's got a 50 great hit tool, which scouts believe could parlay into like a 250, 260 batting average in the major, major leagues. So just a guy who doesn't waste at bats or swings much. Another guy like, like Troy Johnson, who we mentioned before, um, really good career KBB numbers as well. Plays multiple infield spots, profiles basically as like a utility guy, maybe a producer off the bench. And Daniel, it, it may sound, you know, like, like that's something that's usually overlooked, but you need those kind of guys, those role player kind of guys in any good organization, as is being proven right now by what the Marlins are going through. So you, you need those depth guys. And I think Bryson Brigman could be a pretty good one for any major league baseball team, the Marlins included. Definitely. He's a guy we've been looking at and kind of waiting for him to take that next step since he got here. Uh, but good to see him have a good week. My two guys are two guys who I really love seeing uh, right here as, as standouts. Um, first one is Tommy Evelt. You know, he's a guy everybody loves. Touchdown, Tommy. Um, he also started the season with an injury like uh, Roberson did. If you remember, he hurt himself during a spring training game with, with the Marlins, but he finally made it back to AAA. You know, he pitched four innings this week, four Ks, um, one, run, one run, three hits, one walk. So let's hope he can build off, off of this because this is, this is a guy who deserves a, a shot in the majors. Um, he's been uh, in, the, in the minor leagues for a while now, and um, he's got the stuff. So let's hope he can have a couple good months and maybe he gets his shot. And my other guy who I really, really love seeing here is Monte, Monte Harrison. Um, he, again, it just, it just feels good to have him here. He had a great week, uh, only played four games, but has uh, uh, ha- had a 357 average, 470 OBP, 643 slugging. I mean, that's a, um, over 1,000 OPS. We'd love to see it. Also, 23% K rate. <laughs> which for Monte, sadly, is pretty elite. Um, again, just build off of it, man. Definitely a great week for him. Um, just keep making contact. We, we all know that when he does make contact, it's hard. If it's soft contact, he has the wheels to get the first before, before getting, um, um, you know, before the ball gets the first. So, so just, you know, if Monte gets his bat on the ball, it's good news for everyone. Definitely. Definitely doing, doing well in the field as well. I've liked what I've seen from him playing in that outfield. So yeah. Um, Monte is a guy that he, he's on that, that precipice, I think, right. Of is he going to make it or is he not? He's not quite where Lewis Brinson is yet uh, where I think Lewis Brinson's pretty much uh, sadly, I would say for me, cause I do love the guy. I would say Lewis Brinson is probably um, out in terms of a big future in Miami. Um Monte Harrison, though, I, I think he's he's nearing that level where you want to see it and you want to see it immediately. And for him to be doing well in Jacksonville, that's good news for the entire organization. A guy that I think we will see back up with the Marlins sometime this season. Oh, yeah. All right. So uh, I think that's all we got for uh, our standouts per level. 
um, some good stuff in there. Uh, we did want to get to two questions that we had on Twitter before we go. I'll get the first one, Daniel, um, and I'll let you go first on the second one. But the first one is from Eli, and he's asking about Brian Miller. Brian Miller is a guy that um, – a great dude, first of all. <laughs> awesome. He's been around the organization for a while. I've gotten to know him really well. Great guy uh, out of North Carolina, good college pedigree. I, I really had hopes for him, uh, especially when he first came here back when we had – what we had in the minor league system. He was one of those first guys that I looked at back then and said, man, I think this guy could be really good. Right. And I still think he can be good in his role. Right. But Eli wants to know because Brian has really struggled to start this season. He asks, uh, it's the worst month of Brian Miller's career. Why is he struggling so much at the plate? So I'll give you what I think. Um, I don't know if this is actually, you know, if you ask him, if he would tell you the same thing. But just by watching him and going by numbers, I'll give you what I think. And I think he's just trying to do too much and trying to modify his swing. So my quick answer to this one, Eli, is that you look at his fly ball rate, right? So far this season, it's up over 40%. And that's not the guy that Brian Miller is. Brian Miller is a straight through line drive cut. He settles for single bases. He settles for walks and he lets his awesome speed go to work for him from there. He doesn't need to be this guy that's trying to lift balls, that's trying to create launch angle, that's trying to get underneath balls, that's trying to get out in front of pitches before they get to him and time them with his front foot. He needs to be that guy that's going to stand back in the box, let the ball get deep, swing at good pitches, and just take single bases and the eventual, you know, very infrequent extra base when it comes to him. So I think he's gotten away from his strengths a little bit. I think he's doing a little bit too much at the plate to try to ingratiate his power, which has never been a good tool for him. So I think he just needs to step it back, get back within himself and play back to his strengths and being that singles first four average hitter. That's what I think. Um, Daniel, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. I agree with you, man. Um, I think that's, exactly on point obviously he'll he'll bounce back you know we, we know he's a he's a good hitter uh contact oriented hitter um so i do expect him for you know for his numbers to come back up in june gotcha yeah awesome so then the the other thing we had uh, was a question from our boy steve uh great great follower he's followed me for a, followed us i should say for a very long time uh steve graham he wants to know if we have any trade ideas so this is a slippery topic for me. So Daniel, I'll let you go first. Uh, do we have any trade ideas for the Marlins? <laughs> I'm so bad at, at, at creating yeah. trades. I really am. Um, I'm, I'm one of those uh, prospect huggers. I try not to be, obviously. But I mean, how can I not be? Look at what I do every week with you here. You know, I'm, I'm, I hate it when people come up with, with the rental trades. Um you know, with, with ideas to cap somebody for four months and give away six years of prospects. Um, obviously, it is worth it in, in, in a few cases, but the Marlins, they don't have that, <clears throat> that history of extending <laughs> people that come in. So, I mean, if, 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 if we're a big team, you know, a big market team, and I know we just traded for Lindor or for whomever, um, then of course, you know, like bring them here and we'll, we'll extend. But if we're going to only have a guy for three months um, and we're going to give away top prospects, guys are going to give us six years of, 
of cheap control, um, you know, I, I always hesitate. So right now, what I think they'll do is, is they'll, they're going to bring kind of uh, veterans to fill in spots, like probably middle infield, um, maybe a guy like Freddie Galvis. I, I saw Eli put up a, a um, Eduardo Escobar possibility in there. Guys, guys like that, um, like a Freddie Galvis, like who would you have, have to give for, 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 for a guy like that? Like he'll give you production. Orioles aren't going to win right now, so they'll probably be looking to, to trade him. Marlins will probably trade from strength, so probably pitching or outfield. Um, but it wouldn't be one of our top guys. So not specific ideas on my side. Um, but in terms of trades, yeah, I, I would expect the Marlins to just go that route. Yeah, definitely. I could definitely see that happen when they if say sign a middle infielder just to plug that spot. The Marlins have a ton of middle infielders on their way up. I know some of them will move, but they're years away. And if you need to win now, Go on and get a, you know, a veteran type middle infield piece, Escobar, Galvis, those, those names are definitely possible, but yeah, an established veteran that could just plug a hole, you know, and, and, and fill in for these, these array of injuries that the Marlins have had. Um, you see, hate the one with Miguel Rojas jazz looks like he should be back. Uh, Brian Anderson and Miguel Rojas, like our, our left side yeah. of the infield. These are just so important field or their, their glove, their bat, everything boom, like in a couple weeks, in a couple days, both of them down. Hopefully, like we're, we're waiting on news for both of them. Have How serious, like for both, it could be like either two weeks or two months. So we're kind of like, you know, edge of our seats here, with those two. If, yeah. if for one or two of them, it ends up being the latter, you know, we're talking months, then yeah, they're, they're, they're going to have to come up with a few trade ideas yeah. if, if they're really serious about winning. Yeah, definitely. And I think the other spot, just to answer for me, I'm not, I'm going to, I'm not going to give you any like, you know, trade proposals or anything like that as to who we would trade for who, you know, that's, that's not really my, my strong point, admittedly. Um, you know, I, I fool around at times with that tool online, like the trade value tool and stuff like that. But again, I'm like, Daniel, we talk about these prospects, we follow these prospects coming up and not that we're against trading them at all, but you know, you get rid of a name like, like, like Braxton Garrett or, or, you know, I've seen people talk about trading Cameron Meisner and it's like, I just can't do it right now. You know, I just, I just don't think my heart can handle it right now. Right. Just because we're, we're so, you know, indebted to, to covering these guys and, and, and have seen their development and know where they can go just if they put it all together. So, yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't say we're prospect huggers. It's just that we're, we're, um, we're probably the last people to ask when it comes to trading prospects. But I, I do think if the Marlins did, make a trade um, for either a middle infielder or my position of need would definitely be catcher um, because look, look at the catcher situation with the Marlins. Whereas in the middle infield, you have that, that nice, beautiful depth in the minor league system uh, with catcher. You don't, you have maybe two or three guys who you look at that you think could be something down the road. But as we mentioned earlier in the episode, it's that slow build with the development, you know, you got to develop them as receivers as well as develop them as hitters, let them get to know the pitchers, everything that we said, so, yeah, I mean, you want something at the major league level right now. You look at where they are with Jorge Alfaro. He's 28 years old. He has two years of control left. Um, you know, he's been up and down. He's been injured. I don't think personally 
that he has the best handle on this pitching staff. If you ask me, honestly, I do think he has the background to be a good receiver and have a decent arm, but I don't think he's handled the Marlins pitching staff particularly well in the time that he has seen. I think he gets crossed up a lot. I think he um, misses a lot of signs, stuff like that, that, you know, wherever he is as a hitter, just where he is as a receiver, I, I, I don't like that either. And that was his stronger point at one point in his career, right? Does have the great power. Um, we did see that a bit from him when he started his career with the Marlins. Can he get back to that point? I mean, I would like to say yes, but I think at this point, Daniel, and you can tell me if you agree or not, I think the best thing for Jorge Alfaro, and I don't want to give up on him too early because he does seem like he has a lot of tools, but I think the best thing at this point in his career would be a change of scenery. Go somewhere new, you know, get to know a new staff, get to know some new pitchers, and just see if you can you can revive the Batman because it just hasn't happened for the Marlins. Um, I know 2020 got wiped out. I know we're early on in 2021. I, I just don't see it, man. I, I mean, do you agree with that, or, or where are you on Alfaro? Alfaro's a tough one for me, man, um, because obviously he's Colombian. Yeah. And obviously that's not a, not enough of a reason for me to, to want someone to stay, like, you know, with, with, with Tyron. Guerrero, I'm like, yeah, like I, I can see why you DFA him. Um, other Colombian players, I, I, I understand. Um, but with Alfaro, he's just such tools, man. Like he has them. And um, I think a lot of people are unfair because he's so streaky. Um, you know, when he's like down, he's down. Like you remember Giancarlo Stanton in those, during those times with, um, you know, where we're like when he was down, he like struck out three out of four, every four at bats. Um, that's that's uh, how streaky Alfaro is as well. Like when he's bad, he's really bad. Like he can't put the, his bat on the ball. Um, nothing. But when he's good, like you can see it. Like you, we saw him on the Red Sox series. We saw him what he did in AAA during his rehab, like two home runs in a game. When he's when he's got it, he's one of the best. So obviously. You know, I'm kind of on the fence. I feel like there is still, like, we've been waiting for him for a long time now. Um, but as you mentioned, 2020, um, pretty much a lost year for him. So he, I feel like, yeah, give him to the trade deadline. See see what we have with him. If not, then, of course, you know, um, he just needs to be replaced. If not, um, he has the arm. I feel like he gets distracted sometimes. I do see that he has been better at receiving. Um, the pitchers have come out and said it. So, again, just on the fence so much with him. Um, I try to defend him online, but obviously sometimes I just can't because he looks so bad sometimes. Um, but, yeah, if we're going to compare him with Wallach and, and Leon, it's, like, not even close. Yeah, and you don't want to get too far and dive into small sample sizes, but since that that homer that he had, I think it was a walk-off, right? So since that homer, he goes four for 14. And, I mean, he has moments where you're just like, wow, that's the guy you want him to be, right? The, the awesome home run, you know, when he's getting on base, when he, when he's, you know, he had a homer again in the Red Sox series. So, but, yeah, it's, it's just so few and far between. And, yeah, maybe you expect that a little bit from a catcher, but I just don't think he's consistent enough to warrant mm-hmm. you know, a full season's worth of starts at the catcher position. And I think that's what, especially with, with very little depth in the system, you know, that's, that's what you want is a guy that can get in there, you know, most days and, and just, just at least put up consistent numbers. I mean, hopefully he can prove everybody wrong and turn it around. So yeah, it's, it's just, it's unfortunate because you do see the tools. So 
Uh, can you figure it out? You hope, but again, I, I, I'll stand by what I said. I, I think a change of scenery would be the best case scenario for him. And yeah, I, I can definitely agree with you, Daniel, by the trade deadline. Obviously, we're not, I wouldn't do anything immediately right now. I don't think we're, we're talking about trading anybody right now. I know the trade board has gotten going a little bit. I don't think the Marlins are in that position, and I don't think they will. Um, a couple names to look at that could come back over. I'll just give you a couple real quick. I was looking at one earlier today, Tucker Barnhart. He plays with the Reds. The Reds are still in contention right now. If they're out at the trade deadline, he has a year left per an option. I think he's owed like a couple million. So, I mean, it's not, it's not a hefty contract and the Marlins do have the new money. So yeah, you can move, move a deeper piece for that, for that kind of a bat. And he's been really good at the plate, really limits his strikeouts. That's what you love to see from him. So yeah, a guy to look at there, other guys at catcher that you may look at um, talk about the guy with the pirates, Jacob Stallings. Obviously that's a team in rebuild. He's 31 years old. That's an option. And then one more I'll give you on another team that's not looking too great with the Minnesota Twins is Mitch Garver. So, yeah, just three names there that you can maybe look at at the deadline to come through and provide maybe a year or two, three years at the catcher position. It's, it's possible. Yes, sir. I like him. All right. So uh, that's what we got, guys. I think that's going to do it for our 20th episode of Swimming Upstream and mine and Daniel's most recent Monday recap of the Miami Marlins minor league system where we give you our standout performers at each level go through your questions and just get uh, the overall scope of this minor league system week to week. Hope you enjoyed it guys. Thanks so much for sending in all the questions and all the awesome engagement. We really appreciate it. We appreciate you taking the time out to listen and we will see you guys next Monday for our next show on swimming upstream. <laughs>